This is Inspiring Design, where unique innovators come together to share their knowledge, share their insight, and keep us up to date with the latest industry trends. And here's your host, Rashan Senanayake. Welcome back, fellow designers and educators, and um, it's Rashan here, and welcome back to another episode of Inspiring Design. And I've actually got a very special guest here today. Um, he is a 19-year-old CEO, the founder of 56 Creations, um, a 2017 Young Australian of the Year, the Australian Young Innovator of the Year, winner of Westpac's 20 Businesses of Tomorrow. He's been featured in so many places like 60 Minutes Sunrise, the Today Show, National Geographic, I can keep going and I, I think I'm going to take up the whole podcast recording time just to outline um, Taj's accomplishments, but um, let me welcome Taj Babari from um, the CEO of 56 Creations. Good to Thanks have you. Thanks for having me on the show. My pleasure, mate. My pleasure. Thank you so much for giving up your time. So can you um, start off by just giving a little bit of a background on yourself, like where you're from and uh, how you actually came, came about to found 56 Creations? Absolutely. So 56 Creations started back in at 2014 and the, the central goal of 56 at the time was uh, to teach young people about tech and, and coding. We thought it was super important. Uh, at the time, I thought it was an, an incredibly important skill. Uh, we saw we had Barack Obama, the, the former president, talking about the importance of coding. Uh, our former prime minister, Malcolm Turnbull, spoke about the importance of coding as well. And Absolutely. We jumped on the bandwagon and thought, all right, well, if they think it's important, then we we kind of have to think it's important as well. So we went and created this do-it-yourself tablet for kids. Uh, We called it the leg of the 21st century. Media loved it. We were on all national media. We sold a hell of a lot of these devices uh, because people just wanted tech. And if they got the opportunity to actually build their own device... They thought that was amazing, and uh, that was the that was the start of Fifty Six Creations. And it wasn't until a few years later where we realised that you know what, it's not these tech skills that are important. In fact, they're quite useless in the workforce of the future. What's important are other people's skills. What we need is a generation of creators, uh, not necessarily a generation of consumers. Yeah. Uh, and by teaching young people about tech skills, we are creating a generation of consumers. Uh, so we started teaching entrepreneurship to young people and. I guess over the last couple of years, we've now worked around 55,000 students from around Australia. Yeah. Uh, and the goal by next year is 100,000. So, uh, yeah, big, big, big year to come. That's brilliant, mate. So, you started that um, the tablet when you were 14, is that right? Correct. That's brilliant. How did you actually come about, you know, um, coming up with that idea in the first place? I wanted it. Uh, I was like, how cool would it be if I had an item like this? And yeah. uh, I was part of the target market at the time the the device was aimed uh, to students aged 11 to, to 16 and or 12 to 16 and I was 14 so I was like I'm right in the middle of this target market all my yeah. mates are in the target market uh, and everyone I spoke to was just like yeah I want one we spoke to parents and when I went to my friends uh, houses or whatever on weekends I'd ask their parents hey would you buy one of these for your kids and uh, most parents said yes uh, because it was educational and it was obviously something the kids wanted as well. Yeah. Uh, so you were basically designing for yourself in a way because you were smack bang in the middle of the same target market. So you totally. understood. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's brilliant. And um, so how, tell me a little bit about 56 Creations, your team and um, what you guys have got planned for this year. 
Absolutely. So this year is going to be the year of 100,000 kids. We're going to hit that number uh, by September this year. Uh, what are you going to do for the rest of the four, four months? <laughs> absolutely. Well, look, we, we set this lofty goal of 100,000 kids by 2020, and we were like, oh, 2020 is ages away. So we were hitting about 25,000 kids a year, and then we went to 40,000, and I guess we were like, oh, it's just we've got ages. And it was only until the start of this year we were like, shit, we're in 2019. Like, yep. We're going to have to get through these numbers pretty quickly. And uh, we've got some awesome projects coming up this year, and uh, we're, we're really excited to, to hit that number. Yeah. Uh, this year throughout, in just Australia, leaving aside our work in New Zealand and internationally, uh, purely just Australia, 100,000 kids. So, yeah, yeah this is going to be a cool year for us. We've, we're a team of 42 now. Uh, we're hiring one a week. So, it's um, yeah, it's, it, it's going to be a good year for us. Brilliant, brilliant. And um, so tell me a little bit about how this um, fits in with the 21st century skills that a lot of school listeners want to know about and, um, and obviously how... Um, in preparing students for the for jobs that don't even exist, this is one of the biggest concerns that a lot of our teachers have uh, mentioned to us, and they want to know how all these things fit together. And obviously, uh, like you mentioned before, coding and all these entrepreneurship and innovation skills are part of that. Mm. And we're starting to see a few um, leaders in schools mentioning these things and um i think government's catching on now and then um pr articles it's actually pushing out more than it was a year ago so what are your thoughts on that and how it all fits with the 21st century certainly well look 12 months ago we we commissioned uh, and launched a a research series called the future proving young people series Uh, and as part of that we spoke to big business medium-sized business small business educators parents uh, and we asked them a simple or a si- series of simple questions. And the biggest one was, well, what are the top five skills young people are going to need in that 21st century workforce of the future? Mm-hmm. Uh, prep students of today will be graduating in 2032. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is absolutely insane. What is the future going to look like in 2032? And we asked uh, these businesses, we spoke to uh, thousands of businesses, and uh, it was an external piece of research. And the top five uh, skills of, of the workforce of the future yep. were all people skills. Uh, coding came in 11 and 12. Yep. Uh, coding 11, robotics number 12. There you go. Uh, the, fir- the top five were all based around communication, collaboration, creativity, intercultural understanding, uh, being able to work with other people and having that. Uh, I think it was purely that creative skill set uh, mm-hmm. was, was fundamental and being able to public speak. Uh, was a common message that everyone gave. Yeah. Uh, and we compare that to, to what our schooling system looks like right now. Teachers, we've got an overcrowded curriculum that doesn't allow for creativity within the classroom. And I think that's where we fit in really uh, quite well. We, we're able to run these incursion after-school programs and obviously business camp during the school holidays yeah. uh, to run these express workshops to get young people introduced uh, to some of these vital skills that will take them very, very far. Uh, in that workforce of the future. So it's exciting. We, we get to have a lot of fun with kids every year. We just finished business camp season for, for the summer holidays. Mm-hmm. Had thousands of students go through that program. It was great fun. So yeah. now I think we, I can't wait to see to see these kids really change the world with their businesses. Yeah, cool. And uh, what's, the, what's the actual um, feel that you get from the children going through those things? What are their, how do they feel? Look, they, so a lot of our work is done in the region. So it's about 70, 30, 70% in regional communities and 30% of our kids uh, are in capital cities uh, because in the region, self-employment is a viable career pathway. Lots of kids living in the regions have zero job uh, pathway. They have zero job prospects. Thus, going out and starting a business yeah. is something quite practical and something quite feasible. 
Uh, so for those students, our workshop is firmly based around getting the kids to start a micro business or a small business because it is quite feasible. Yeah. Uh, whereas in capital cities, we get them to just engage with that entrepreneurial skill set. We know uh, the importance of an entrepreneur uh, in big business and medium-sized business today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and our programs for capital cities are really to promote uh, those creative and entrepreneurial thinking skills within everyday young people. Not necessarily to go and start a business because not every kid wants to go and start a business. Uh, we still need employees, but really to teach those skills that employers need uh, in that workforce, and we engage that in the classroom. Yeah, that's brilliant. So when you work with schools and um, in, in delivering these um, entrepreneurship programs and business boot camps, does the teachers feel like they're out of depth? Um. <laughs> Tough question, a bit. Tough question, <laughs> absolutely. Look, we, we work with thousands of amazing teachers from around Australia and New Zealand. And yeah. uh, look, I think uh, they all want to be creative in the classroom. They all want to try. Uh, obviously, everyone wants what's best for the children. And it's unfortunate that we have such an overcrowded curriculum that doesn't give teachers the opportunity to be creative, to try new things, to experiment. Yeah. And I get the, the argument for having standardization with the classroom. It's obvious. Like, you, you can't possibly have individual education within our current model where we're paying, uh, obviously, a huge amount per child through our state-based education system. Yeah. Uh, they, they want to engage with these skills. They understand the importance of entrepreneurial skills. Uh, and we complement really what they're doing in the classroom. And obviously, the way, the way we operate it, it allows the students to learn these vital skills uh, in a very express format, uh, which is something that teachers, quite simply, uh, aren't able to do just due to the sheer amount of content they have to get through yeah. uh, in, the, in the average school day. So, look, we work with amazing teachers. and very grateful for, for our brilliant teachers to, to let us come into their classrooms. Yeah. Do you think that um, the, there needs to be a shift in the curriculum delivery system to allow teachers to actually have the mindset to or even start to think about the fact that they can start to deliver these things in a different format than, than they know. Um, the reason I'm asking this is because uh, we ran a workshop with a, with a school in the north side and uh, it was on VR technology. And one of the teachers was so stressed out and he just couldn't fathom the amount of content that they have to learn on top of the additional things to deliver this new technology. And uh, he was asked to be the guinea pig in the school to lead it. Yeah, wow. A little bit more stress on top of that. And um, and he, he was just so concerned. And we were recommending him to um, allow the children to learn through play. However, that wasn't something he was ready to do because it's mm. out of his control and it's different to the standard teaching style. And this is a common factor that we see throughout a lot of the teachers that uh, introduce these new concepts and they're actually starting to worry about their job prospects in five to ten years time because it's almost like well the skills that they don't uh, that they have to teach now are going to be obsolete or some of them are obsolete mm. um, so what happens if they don't know those things did you have any thoughts on what the education system is going to look like in Australia in the next five to ten years oh look to be completely honest I think it's going to in the next five years it's going to look very similar to what it is right now uh, obviously, that, that wouldn't be my goal, but I think uh, the reality is five years will, will look quite similar. Obviously, Queensland's now moved uh, to the ATAR system, which, yep. uh, in my opinion, is probably a bit more uh, a system from the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fact that Queensland is only moving to that right now is probably uh, a bit of a concern. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, look, I think... Yes, I would love a change. Uh, I would love to see the idea of project-based learning being a focal point uh, of, of, of learning in the classroom where 
all of our subjects are very much intertwined. Uh, mm-hmm. Instead of going to maths class or English class, our subjects are intertwined. We have different mentor type teachers that guide us across a different, uh, a very wide array of uh, of subject base uh, and content and knowledge if if, if we need it. Uh, I did very poorly in school. I was suspended four times. Uh, that can't during, be right. During school. So. <laughs> Look, I, certainly if there's anyone who, who wants a, a, a change to the current system, it's, it's me because I didn't succeed in it. Yeah. Uh, I finished grade 12 uh, and I just hit the, the attendance threshold to get my uh, Queensland Certificate of Education. But uh, certainly in primary school, I picked up three of my suspensions during grade one to grade six. So I'd love to see the, the idea of project-based learning and uh, learning via experimentation becoming a focal point uh, in that workforce of the future and even classroom of the future is, is very much based upon that so yeah, yeah no I think uh, in the five years probably not much it won't change mm-hmm. uh, but I would love I would love to see a nice change yeah mm-hmm. yeah and uh, if you don't mind me touching base on um, a, a person that's honestly I, even I have a lot of admiration for you in, in what you've achieved at such a young age um, you. and and just um, looking at the fact that it it didn't align with yourself and and what you what your potential is um, during that schooling period, why do you think that was? Is it because there wasn't a platform um, or or an, or an opportunity for you to actually do what you can and and showcase it? Definitely, I just could not connect the dots between the the, the things I was learning in the classroom uh, and how that was actually going to impact me in the real world. I could not connect the dots. I didn't see the point of it. Uh, doing a long division in the classroom, I just p- could not see how that was actually going to make sense uh, and how that was possibly going to, uh, to contribute to my life uh, in the future. And yeah. I think, therefore, I was messing around. I was distracting every other child in the classroom yeah. uh, and got suspended several times. Uh, obviously, if you want to be a doctor, if you want to be a lawyer, you don't have a choice but to go to university. But... I think I knew from a very young age that maybe I wasn't going to, or I wasn't going to follow the traditional yeah. pathway. Yeah, um, so it works for some people. Yeah, it does work for some people, and I probably wouldn't feel very comfortable if a doctor didn't have a university degree. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but I think in a lot of other industries, we know that the 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 importance or the lack of importance of a business degree now uh, is uh, is clear. Uh, employers don't care about a business degree because every single child is graduating university with a business degree. It doesn't tell any, anyone anything. Uh, it doesn't set anyone above uh, anyone else. And I think uh, the importance of traditional education is declining. It has been declining for some years now. Uh, and I think, obviously, looking at alternate pathways, going and starting a business for students living in the regions, taking a more alternate pathway uh, for students in uh, living in regional and remote communities is quite feasible. But going to university is not yeah. because a university degree for them in a community that has no jobs is completely worthless. Uh, so no it's fascinating I think I have the best job in the world I get to meet some great people and get to experience some of the most amazing kids so yeah yeah, now we have some amazing business ideas definitely Mm. definitely and that's something I think um, even even graduates coming out of university here face and uh, especially in a competitive market recently we ran um, uh, how to enter enter the industry in a creative way for Mm. uh, tertiary students and graduates and uh, one of the biggest concerns that we were looking at was seek released these data that um, in Australia that showed for, uh, on average there's about 130,000 graduates coming out of every industry across Australia and from that there's only 60,000 jobs wow. that are applicable for a given sector and obviously that's a huge bracket um, and that the ma- massive amounts of co- competition that creates 
uh, for the individual coming out of it and the universities necessarily don't teach the, how to d- tackle with that competition as well. And two-thirds um, of parents in our report said that business and entrepreneur that young people lack business and entrepreneurial skills. Yeah. Uh, and one-third said schools are not preparing young people for the workforce of the future. Um, if one-third of parents do not believe that, uh, so that's one out of three kids and their parents don't believe that, them sending, uh, them sending their kids to school five days a week is not preparing them for the future, we've got an issue. Yeah. Uh, and I think we just found this is, is going to be a massive problem as we consistently have massive youth unemployment uh, yeah. with these kids who are graduating, spending a huge amount on degrees and then going into very little uh, work opportunities after. Yeah, mm. yeah. One of the things that I wanted to ask you was, um, do you feel as though in the Australian education system there's a disconnect between the secondary, tertiary, and the industry? What I mean by that is um, the each system works on its own rather than a collaborative, holistic approach, and uh, the students that go through that process, and I'm saying this from the point of view having gone through it myself and, and observed my students and, and the people that we worked with, that the schooling system prepares them in a slightly misaligned way to what tertiary does and then tertiary does the same thing to what industry does and it's almost like every time they transition from one sector to the next they have to relearn things or realize that the fact that what they the mm. training that they receive to date isn't necessarily preparing them for the next one and they're almost restarting and start doubting themselves and feeling inadequate what are your thoughts on on that I have to be very careful with my wording. Uh, <laughs> one of my new sponsors is is a university. So there you go. <laughs> I've had to be very careful in the last couple of weeks with with, with some of my words with media and obviously podcasts as well. But of course. look, I think uh, I think there is a time and place for all for all sectors. Uh, obviously, there is no stats prove that the importance of say the tertiary and the university pathway is declining, and they've had to find new ways of showing value and. I think one of the, personally, my belief is this idea of short courses is something that where universities have a lot of knowledge, they've got a lot of amazing uh, systems, they've got a lot of amazing knowledge, mm-hmm. but communicating that in a very concise manner, in my opinion, is something of extremely high value. Uh, so in terms of whether school is preparing young people for university and then university preparing for jobs, yes, there is a slight disconnect, inevitably. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think really they should be playing to their skill sets, which I don't think they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're going to need to. University is going to have to understand that not every kid wants to study four years in one place. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know there are lots of Queensland universities now showing uh, and bringing lots of short courses to, to their individual universities to engage industry to engage people who don't want to sit in the classroom for four years. and uh, So certainly a change is happening. Yes, there is a disconnect, but I believe uh, everyone has understood their area of edge, uh, and hopefully one day it will come together quite nicely. But I can certainly assure you Griffith University is doing an absolutely wonderful job of, of bridging that gap between uh, that declining number of young people going or wanting to go through tertiary education uh, and a university pathway. And teaching life and wanting to learn life skills. So, yeah. no, I think, uh, yes, there is a gap, but it, it's closing. Yeah, mm. yeah. No, that's brilliant. And what, what are your thoughts on how um, Australia's alignment with STEM curriculum and um, the, the curriculum changes that they're going through in, in almost combining the traditional sh- subjects that they had five years ago, well, mm. last year, actually, <laughs> um, rolling out newer ones that are more aligned with the American system? What are your thoughts on that? Look, I, I don't believe STEM skills are important for the future at all. Okay. Uh, STEM skills came in, I think, collectively as number 10 of what makes a person successful or a young person successful in 30 years' time. 
Um, and when we saw that, we were just like, this is pure evidence that STEM skills are very useful in the workforce of today, but they will be incredibly useless in the workforce of the future. Because right now, millions of kids in India, millions of kids in China, uh, Vietnam uh, are learning STEM skills. They're being taught STEM skills on a radical level. In Vietnam, uh, the kids do seven to seven days, six days a week in terms of their schooling based system. Mm-hmm. Right now, if we want to compete against these guys, uh, we do five days a week at school. I'm not saying kids should study six days a week and go seven to seven, because that's just ridiculous, but we should be playing to our skill sets. And by teaching Australian students STEM skills, we're going to be creating a generation of unemployed young people. Uh, it's a commodity. Every single child is going to learn how to, how to code. Every single child is going to understand basic STEM skills. Uh, and when you chain a massive generation of STEM students, inevitably the price of hiring those STEM graduates or STEM students is going to go down drastically. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw that with uh, basic word processing, people had to use administrators. Administration is a blue-collared skill because every single child got taught how to use a computer and type a good email. Uh, every single child right now in Queensland is being taught how to code. And from primary school, if you go to a state school, you are being taught how to code. Uh, as are millions of kids in India, as are millions of kids in China and Vietnam. Uh, we should be playing to our skill sets. And our skill sets of Australia, inevitably the Australian people are creative. The Australian people want to create change. Uh, Australian young people should be learning soft skills. Australian young people should be taught how to communicate. Uh, they should be taught how to manage those STEM graduates in India, in Vietnam, in China, mm-hmm. but not necessarily be them because they will be blue-collar skills. Uh, we'll be hiring them very, very cheap yep. uh, in that workforce of the future. So I think, uh, well done, Australia, for getting onto it last year. But in an ever-changing global economy, we need to stay up to date. And teaching STEM skills, and in particular teaching coding skills, is a complete and utter waste of time for young people yep. uh, because we're going to create a generation of unemployed young people. And in 10 years' time, we'll be like, hey, why did we teach these skills to young people? And someone would have said, well, the USA did it. Uh, and we know prior to the Trump administration coming in 2016, the unemployment of young people was massive. It was huge youth unemployment uh, prior to 2016. And I think that's what's going to happen here if we keep going on the same trajectory we're on right now of teaching STEM skills and coding skills. That's brilliant. And I think um, a lot of our listeners are actually, that's, that's going to hit them hard and th- those comments. And it's quite good because it will actually be a bit of an eye opener. Mm. And um, I agree, this is something that we communicate to our teachers as well and and start to question. But um, And I love the fact that you've actually justified how it affects on a global skill set and aligning us with Playing, to, to, playing towards the strengths of Australia. And uh, that's exactly right. And it's, especially with the future of work, um, with geolocation necessarily doesn't matter anymore mm. uh, with VAs and um, everything coming into into play with and everyone kind of specializing their own Absolutely. different sectors. Uh, Australia definitely needs to play towards that. And um, following doesn't necessarily put us in that, in that place. So that's brilliant. Um, one of the things I wanted to get um, your opinion on and get a little bit technical was um, how this works within a student's brain, right? Mm-hmm. So in terms of looking at, at a, a, a general holistic level of what the left brain, right brain uh, combination and how that engages a student's mind. So for example, if you're looking at an accountant's brain, it's going to be very logical, very structured versus an artist in a very contrasting mm-hmm 
uh, way with creativity and so on. How does that work with in terms of innovation? Um, do you see this being com- a combination of both? And it's the teacher's responsibility to engage both of those um, sectors of the brain in, in the student. And um, how, how, do you, how do you see that fitting in with 21st century skills? Yeah, like I just graduated from high school like a year, two years ago. And I think a lot of my peers, well, I'd say even most of my peers, graduated from school not understanding what their skill set was, what their profitable skills are versus what their least profitable skills are. And I think that's a concern uh, when you've got grade 12 graduates who are 17, 18 years old who don't understand what makes them them. They don't understand what makes them profitable. They don't understand what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. That, to me, is a massive grave concern. Uh, So in terms of, uh, obviously, we know the workforce of the future is going to demand teamwork and collaboration more than ever. Uh, We know the importance of young people working together, especially, as you mentioned before, in in a very globally connected world, whether that be through people working from different states, different countries, different cultural backgrounds, different languages even. Uh, The idea of collaboration and teamwork has never been so prominent. Uh, and I think in school, in, there should be a basic life skills class. And in that life skills class, it could be basic things like learning about taxes, learning about financial literacy, but also going into what makes you you. What are the skills that uh, you should be working on? You know, if you're going to join a team, these are the skills that make you you. Uh, I don't believe young people leave school or they don't leave school understanding those skills. Uh, and really, I think something as basic as a life skills class uh, we have PC time, which, in my opinion, was a complete waste of time. Uh, it was 40 minutes of just wastage uh, in a class day. Uh, PC time as in just literally on, on home a Home room, pastoral care, I don't know what they call it now. Uh, but seriously, like, everyone would agree, like, it was 40 minutes of complete waste mm-hmm. of time. It was like a social session. And I'm all for social session, I think, obviously talking about the importance of human skills, being able to build relationships is important yeah uh, and really I think PC time for us was building relationship but I don't think that was the objective but having a life skills class where you can teach those understanding skill sets understanding mindset understanding leadership skills understanding the way in which you want to lead understanding the ways uh, in which learning how to manage people I think that there could be a class there which we've got time for it it's a waste of time right now class so we've certainly got time for it it's not a, without extending a school day yeah uh, it's quite easy so yeah no i think it will be interesting seeing 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 when it hits us on a global level yeah mm. yeah yeah do you think what's um what's the movement that's happening on the other side of the world in singapore and uh, and luxembourg and finland and so on who are considered as leaders in education mm-hmm. they've recently scrapped subjects and yep. and school is now school and um, this aligns with what you've been saying, uh, which is why I wanted to um, get your point of view on it. They don't necessarily go, now you go to your maths class and your science class and your social class and PE and so on. Mm-hmm. School is just school. The kids come there, they learn, they learn through play, they learn through a bunch of different things. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely, absolutely. Look, I think uh, one of the, the important things there is I was in Singapore a couple of weeks ago and I think... Uh, working with the ministry uh, for a couple of projects uh, that we're looking at running in Singapore. And yes, they're considered a leading education force, but Mm -hmm. I walked into some of the classrooms and the kids don't know how to communicate. Uh, They've got an amazing STEM curriculum. In fact, it is world class, they're number one, right? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But they don't know how to communicate. The kids cannot hold a conversation. They're amazing when it comes to public speaking and regurgitating a script, but 
their ability to come up with unique and creative conversation starters was lacking. So uh, they're not thought leaders? They're not thought leaders at all. They don't have those impromptu people skills. They don't know how to adapt. And yes, they may look like they're a leading education force, uh, but having been in a classroom a couple of weeks ago in Singapore with the ministry, uh, I can assure you those kids are not real world ready. They're ready for... Uh, the, the economy where every kid will be paid uh, a general salary and they'll become great coders and I'm sure they'll be very good at that. Uh, and brilliant, but they can't communicate. And in a workforce of the future, in an interconnected workforce of the future, communication is fundamental. Uh, so, look, I think there is a couple of... We've got High Tech High in San Diego and uh, in the USA who's got a fully project-based learning school. We've all heard about them. They're brilliant. Uh, the principal's called a CEO, Larry Rosenstock, uh, having a CEO of a school, in my opinion, is cool. It's, it shows that we're running it like a business. You yep. run it in a way uh, that with outcomes at the very end. And if you don't hit the outcomes, then your board is, is angry, right? Mm. Uh, so I think in that sense, I, I'd love to see a high-tech, high-equivalent leave Singapore. Great. I'm hoping to work with the ministry, so I'm very happy with what they've done with the STEM curriculum. Mm-hmm. So they set their mind to a STEM curriculum and they did it very well. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of how I'd like to see education run, I'd love to see a high-tech high uh, equivalent all around the country, all, all around the world, in fact, because that really is an example uh, of a world-class education. Yeah, definitely. And uh, there's there's a recent one, uh, recent push with Education Queensland. And I think with Department of Education and Training, they've introduced a whole bunch of roles with business mm. development managers exactly to that point of treating a school mm. as a business. And uh, and I think it's important, uh, similar to universities, they've actually, they're going to have a board of advisors mm. that are not within the school, that sure. are not taught the exact same thing with a whole bunch of red tape. There, there's actually going to be external influence and advice. So uh, do you think in, in uh, that's a very good uh, move towards a better education system? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think external influence is regardless whether it's a school, whether it's a private organization, a charity, government, advisory committees, I think, are fundamental. And a lot of private schools are implementing them. Obviously, we have PNCs for state schools, and they're doing an absolutely amazing job uh, coordinating the schools and making decisions. And I start to think having maybe a formal advisory committee for each school could could do them a lot of good with someone from each sector. It might be a real estate agent, it might be a small business owner, it might be a medium-sized business owner, and then a big business partner. Someone who could just provide a business mind gives that insight into what is the workforce of the future. So it's not just coming from private enterprise like 56 Creations and you guys, but also mm-hmm. uh, actual industry saying, hey, well, yes, this is correct. We don't want more STEM graduates. We don't want more tech graduates. What we want is young people who communicate. Uh, I think that could be quite useful. I think that's well said, mate. And um, I'm just being aware of time, and uh, I know you're a very busy individual. Um, I just wanted to ask if you had any last takeaway for our teachers and listeners about um, how to tackle these new changes and embracing the change that's that's happening in Australia uh, in particular, and um, any, any wisdom or uh, messages that you want to pass on to the listeners? Look, I think right now, in terms of practical activities, you don't have time for it as teachers. (laughs) Uh, But in terms of mindset-wise, introducing young people to the idea of mentoring success by association, you surround yourself with amazing people, some of that amazingness does rub off on you as well. And I think a lot of young people go through school without knowing that. They don't know that mentors can turbocharge their journey, their experiences. And you're obviously talking from personal experience. I know, um, I think you've gone through a lot of very world-class um, mentors all around the world. Is that, is that right? Yeah, I've been very lucky. I went to my first Tony Robbins seminar at 
at 14 as soon as I finished 56 Creations and I was in New York Brilliant. last year walking out of my apartment and uh, so I spent a decent amount of last year we were about to launch into to, to, to the USA and I guess we, we learned a lot in that uh, journey uh, it was a personal learning experience we decided not to launch into the USA but I was walking out of my apartment on 30th Street and uh, was walking down into a film studio uh, to do a TV segment uh, and the person who was walking out was Tony Robbins. Wow. And we were in the studio, and this guy had just finished his segment. I was about to walk in to do mine. And I was like, this was the person that I looked up to from 14 to 18 when I started my business. Uh, and then for me to bump into a studio, he literally inspired me to get started. And the only reason I was in that film studio was because of his inspiration when I was 14 yeah. years old when I started 56 Creations. Yeah. Um, so people like that, I've been very lucky just to, to bump into to those people. But I think for young people, uh, just having being introduced to a mentor, being able to discuss your dreams, goals, and I think that's where career guidance got, comes in as well. Yeah, uh, Career guidance needs to be completely reimagined in a way that we're not just looking at job preparation, but actually asking young people, what do you want to achieve? And I think that's where mentors, industry mentors can come in quite useful. I did a visualization board from a very young age where I just put everything I wanted to achieve when I was 14. And at the time, it was very materialistic. I had the new phones, watches. Of course, the cool uh, toys. <laughs> all the cool toys. And uh, I think the only th- I was looking at my 14-year-old visualization board uh, last year, and I'd achieved everything on that board except the car uh, because <laughs> I don't even have my, my learner's license expired. Um, <laughs> there you go. And I think it was... Uh, that visualization, it was funny, like I had that board from 14 to 16 right in front of me and I didn't look at it uh, for, for two years after. And I looked at it last year and I was like, shit, I've achieved everything on this board that I wanted uh, when I was 14. Um, so I think also teachers encouraging that. It's an easy activity to put in to just get young people to start thinking, what is success for me in 10 years' time? And not just writing down smart goals or whatever that she said we did in school, but actually putting the visual... <laughs> Mm. way of what do I want to achieve yeah uh, and then obviously flowing from that mentors come in and well how do I achieve this beautiful house then in order to get there I need a mentor and finding a mentor from LinkedIn and it just all flows from that so yep. I think an easy starting place would certainly be uh, a visualization board and then yep. connecting mentors and, and go from that yeah brilliant and 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 uh you've actually shared the story of meeting Will Smith with me the last time we met and uh, for our young listeners I, I if you don't mind sharing that because I, I think it highlights the fact that um, when you want something, you go get it, and mm. and and taking action and following your heart is actually very important. And I and I really admire that. And I think you've discovered that at a very young age. But a lot of students doubt themselves because of their background or their values and beliefs. So, um, do you mind sharing that story? Just because <laughs> I feel like it'll be an inspiration. Absolutely, absolutely. So. Yeah, like it was quite lucky. So we, 56 Creations won the Westpac Business of Tomorrow Award uh, back in 2017. We were the smallest business that won the award. I think the smallest business to us was making, I think, maybe 50, 60 mil rev. Uh, So we were certainly the smallest business uh, in this program. Uh, I was the youngest in the program. I was still 17 at the time. Uh, And as part of this award, we were given $100,000 and uh, a global tour. Uh, And... Obviously, banks have a lot of money, and they uh, we were in started in the US where we met uh, the co-founders of LinkedIn, co-founders of Airbnb, and uh, we were off to Shanghai, and we were in the first-class lounge in in Hong Kong or Shanghai, and obviously some pretty amazing people in their lounge. I was completely in awe because I'd never been in a first-class lounge before, and 
uh, was with some amazing people. We had the Westpac CEO with there. We had some truly amazing people in that room, and I was all very excited because there were lots of people I recognized walking around in this lounge, but apparently the lounge etiquette is you don't talk to anyone in this lounge. There you go. Um, so you've been told not to approach now. <laughs> like, it was this unheard of rule, which, I, like, I don't know, apparently it was in, in, in China. They have lots of people there, and it was just don't talk to anyone in the lounge. There you go. Uh, and on the corner of my eye, Will Smith walked by. Will Smith and Jaden uh, walked by with this massive security guard, uh, and his assistant, and he was, he had a hat on, and he had white hair, and I never picked Will Smith as someone who had white hair. Wow. Um, and I was like, shit, is that Will Smith? And <laughs> uh, he took a seat literally right over the table from, or right over the sofa where I was sitting with, with the guys at Westpac. Uh, and I was like, well, screw etiquette. Like, I'm so going to talk to this guy, because I've seen this guy on TV, I've watched his movies. Once in a lifetime. Uh, this really is a once in a lifetime thing. Uh, and went over and said hey and thought, all right, well, what's the worst that can happen uh, with with this one? And I went to go say hey, and I was like, hey, can we can we sit down? Can we grab a drink? And he was so cool. He was off for a family holiday to, to Bali. Yeah. And he was more than okay just to sit down and, and have a chat. And we're very lucky for about half an hour. We just had a chat. Uh, and I think, first of all, I passed him in the bathroom and... Uh, <laughs> I think that was the first introduction where I was in the, the, the male bathroom and uh, I was doing something in the bathroom as was he and uh, we walked past the, the thing and he was right next to me so I was like this is going to be the opportunity and I cool. said hey and we hit it off so yeah. that was very lucky he, everything he said was very quotable and I think I said that to you last time where the way in which I spoke to Will, Will at the time was uh Everything you see on TV was real. Everything you see on the the interviews he does on 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 TV and whatnot really is him. And very authentic. He's so authentic, and he was happy. He gave me thirty minutes of his time, and this is a guy who's just like I was a nobody, right? And he was happy just to spend thirty minutes talking to me about what I did, uh, and obviously sharing some things he learned as well and I think I was, it was certainly something I'm never ever going to forget and I think you mentioned um, the fact that he actually introduced himself as Will <laughs> yeah like so I, so what I introduced myself I was like hey I'm Tart and I didn't say Will I was like Will Smith my name is because I just thought like you don't never say Will right yeah. <laughs> uh, and he extended his hand and was just like yeah I, Will Smith and like obviously he's Will Smith and he, a man who needs no introduction it's like Roger Federer introducing himself it just doesn't happen of course um, and like the fact that he even thought that was like that was normal um, when I would have thought he knows that or I would think he thinks everyone knows him yeah um, but no I thought it was uh, such a down to earth guy it was an opportunity of a lifetime I think that's brilliant Melan and a lot of takeaways from that because even a star that's, that uh, of that caliber staying so humble to the ground and uh, and the fact that you saw the opportunity and made that happen and went after it that's, that's brilliant a lot of takeaways from that Mate, I don't want to keep you too long. Uh, thank you so much for coming uh, on to, onto the Inspiring Design and uh, hope you have a massive day. Thanks, Matt. Cheers. Cheers, Matt.